This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash Purple Rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. OutSchool.com slash Purple Rocket, code Purple Rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. Previously on Space Train, Doug and the cadets took Blobby to visit his family on the planet Gorf. They learned that Blobby was actually a Gorfy prince and that it was his time to morph with a partner. Blobby and another Gorfy morphed into a two-headed blob during the celebration. But Dallas wasn't happy that Blobby was so comfortable at home. Lucky for him, Blobby decided to bring his royal family and morphed partner aboard the space train. And now for Season 2, Episode 7, Mind Builder. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Space Train. It's time to be the hero.
The space train circled the Academy's comet like a vulture until it landed gracefully in the Academy's ship hangar. Doug loved being on the space train, but he always looked forward to their visits to the Academy. It was a shame they didn't get more time there, especially considering how much time he'd spent rebuilding it. He'd been wanting to take those hovering cafeteria tables for a ride ever since their last visit. Lydia challenged him to a hovering table bumper car battle, where they would see who could knock the other person's drink off the table first. Those hopes were dashed, however, as soon as they walked into the Great Hall. There is an urgent need that has just come to my attention, Goro said as they walked. Drop off your things, grab a quick snack, and meet me at the connector. I will brief you there. Dallas? He turned to Dallas, who was struggling to corral Blobby's family. The little Gorfies were bouncing all over the place with excitement, splattering the walls and giant purple ceiling crystals. Now, now, hold on, little dudes. Stay close. No, don't splatter those paintings. Oh, they're priceless works of... Oh, man, why? Why? Blaberta, get your family under control, will ya? What are you doing? Can we not bounce around the chandelier? Blaberta ignored him and pinged around in the chandelier, filling the room with a colorful flashing light. The little Gorfies oohed at the changing lights and started jelly dancing all over the place. Come on, guys. Oh, not now. Save it for the cafeteria or something. Oh. Dallas was about to pull his hair out. Leo shook his head and laughed. What are you laughing at? Dallas snapped. Help me grab some of these buggers or this whole place will be covered in slime. Leo held up his hands, gesturing that there was nothing he could do. Don't worry about it, Doug told Dallas. The cleaning bots will clean the walls. Let them have their fun. They'll calm down eventually. Captain is right, Goro said. It is customary for Gorfies to express abnormal levels of excitement when visiting a new place. Remember, the Gorf royal family has not been off planet in some time. Lydia, would you mind showing Fusik to her sleeping quarters and introducing her to the other students? Of course. Here, let me help you with your bag. Lydia helped Fusik Kapoor carry her big bag down the hall to the dormitories. Seeing Lydia's small act of kindness inspired Doug to do the same. Here, let me help you with that. He reached down to help Dallas with his bag, but Dallas just raised an eyebrow at him. Really, bro? You realize I could throw this bag down the hall if I wanted to. Just trying to help, jeez. He turned to Leo, who happily let him help with his bag. Together, they all headed down to the dorms to drop off their things. Once they were settled, they hurried down the hall towards the vacuum tubes. Doug made a quick stop by the classrooms to say hi to his mom and dad, who were in the middle of a lecture. They were team teaching with a hologram professor that looked like a human version of a walrus. Doug noticed how full the classrooms were getting. Their parents' recruiting efforts were obviously successful. At least five classes were now full of wanderers. Doug wondered why they didn't just have their parents go out and round up all the students on their list. But then he remembered the list he was working with were the not-so-easy-to-recruit batch. Either way, it was fun to see the academy filling up with gifted students. 
The growing chatter in the halls was a welcome change. Doug gave his mom and dad a hug and then ran over to the giant vacuum tomb that blasted him off to the east wing. When he arrived at the connector room, all the other cadets were waiting for him. Did you stop by the buffet on your way over? Dallas teased. Doug shot him an annoyed look. Thank you all for coming, Goro said. I know you were all hoping to get some much-deserved rest after our trip, but like I said, an urgent request just came in. But before we get to that, did Fusa get settled? Lydia nodded. She loves her room and appreciates the paintings of her homeworld. I introduced her to her class and they already have her playing the slug pipe for them. Excellent. Let's hope she doesn't literally blow their minds while she's at it. Dallas, how are our little Gorfy friends? Dallas was completely covered in splatter marks. How do you say a little too comfortable in Gorfish? Goro chirped and clicked the translation. Yeah, that. They're fine. Good. Goro turned to face the cylinder room. At its center, the giant mechanical spindle pointed up at a dome window, looking out into space. Wires stretched from it to all of the hive seats cut into the walls. This is our first opportunity to test the connector. Each of you find a seat. The cadets climbed up the wall ladders to the hive seats around the room. Doug looked around at the shallow oval hole around him. Shimmers of green and purple danced across the metallic surface. Now, Goro went on, grab hold of the horizontal handles in front of you while I pull up our mission log. The cadets did as instructed, and Goro typed his codes into the mechanical spindle at the center of the room. Close your eyes and allow the images to flow through your mind. If you fight it, it could become painful. Goro pressed a button, and immediately a flood of images consumed Doug's mind. It was as if he had forfeited complete control over his thoughts. His instinct was to fight it, and at first he tried. He pushed his own thoughts to the forefront, but just as Goro had warned, it felt like he was holding a door shut that was pushing back with such incredible force that the effort was useless. Trembling from the mental exertion, he finally opened the door to his mind and let the images pour through. As he did, he felt immediate relief. One particular image came into focus on the dark stage of his mind. It grew brighter and clearer the more he looked at it. It was a city, clouded in a thick layer of smog. Goro's voice echoed around the room. I trust you are all now looking at Festa Five, an outlier planet of the Lunar X system. Their power is generated from burning chronite crystals, and the byproduct of doing so, as you can see, is unsustainable levels of pollution. Smog fills the air and has finally reached levels so dangerous that the Fezdians can no longer venture outside. They have sent out a desperate plea for help. This is where you come in. What are we supposed to do? Lydia asked, eyes closed and trying her best to focus on the images. Work together, Goro said. The connector is designed to unite your minds and your abilities to find solutions. When I flip this switch, your minds will be connected. I will enable the emotion restrainer so as to not overwhelm you, but the sudden influx of ideas and thoughts may still come as a shock. Are you ready? 
Great. I get to morph with you, weirdos? Dallas mumbled. Right back at you, Doug shot back. Ready, Lydia called out. Leo gave a thumbs up. Doug heard a switch flip. Little lightning bolts zapped down from the ceiling above the chair and pulsed around his head. It didn't hurt, but there was a strange sensation, like multiple fingers were running through his hair. He could feel the static making his hair stand up, and the bolts sometimes fizzed and popped as they moved. In his mind's eye, the image of Fezda 5 was instantly replaced by a sudden stream of images, pouring into view from every angle like a growing tidal wave. There were images of Blaberta bouncing around a room as Dallas chased them around. There were flashes of Lydia's parents giving her a hug. An image of Leo bobbing his head, listening to music and trying on a yellow jacket. Doug saw himself bumping tables with Lydia, which hadn't actually happened yet, but just the idea of it was as strong and clear as the other images. Doug knew that one was coming from him. He instinctively focused on Lydia's images. Were there any of him? What did she think about him? The images zoomed in on her thought stream and started cycling through all of the memories that had him and Lydia in them. Whoa, 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 lover boy. Where are you taking us? Dallas called out. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, Douglas, none of that, came Goro's voice. Doug forgot they were all sharing a mind. Embarrassed, he pulled back and his mind stage went back to a constant flow of images from everyone's minds. You need to focus on a solution to the problem, Goro instructed. Speak with one another. Think together. There was a long silence before Doug finally spoke. We could move them off planet. Ah, we can organize a mass evacuation, Lydia added. What public transportation do we have at our disposal? Images of flying buses filled their minds. They swooped down into Fezda 5 through the muck in the sky and scooped up passengers. I'm afraid the Fezdians have no desire to leave, Goro said. The image broke to pieces and new thoughts took the stage. An image of all the residents using mechanical filter masks. Good idea, Leo, Goro said. But the Fezdians are adamant minimalists and convincing them to walk around wearing that apparatus for their entire lives will be a considerable challenge. Can we get rid of the pollution somehow? Dallas asked aloud. His eyes were closed tight as he concentrated, and little electric bolts pulsed around his head. Like a giant air filter in the sky, Doug said. Go on, Goro encouraged. I can build it using pieces of the polluting factories. Doug's mind zoomed in on Goro's images of the factories. He focused intensely on them and started breaking them apart and piecing them together into giant flying filters that glided through the sky. As he did, the connector hummed loudly and an enormous beam shot out the top of the spindle into space. That's it, Goro said. Come on, Wanderers, what is it missing? Leo's thoughts of alien codes streamed across their mind stage. He was programming the filters to actually work. They were growing more sophisticated. Dallas added his ideas for strengthening the filters so that they would last. Lydia's thoughts then took center stage. It was a short flash of the future, various images exposing the design flaws, and likely scenarios in which the flying filters would fail. Doug, Leo, and Dallas made adjustments to the plans based on her predictions. Pretty soon, 
more than a dozen such filter ships patrolled the skies, shaped like giant jet engines, sucking in the smoky clouds and emitting clean air. Leo had apparently even programmed them to generate wind power that beamed down to the city so the Fezdians no longer had to rely on burning crystals for energy. Suddenly, the tickling zaps of the electric bolts on their heads disappeared and the connector powered down with a droning hum. Their mind stage went dark. Doug and the other cadets opened their eyes and looked around the room. What happened? Doug asked. Lydia looked worried. Did we break it? Goro smiled. Quite the opposite. It has never worked better. Mission complete. Excellent work, cadets. Doug and the other cadets looked at each other confused. Um, don't we need to actually go to Fezda 5 to execute our plan? Doug asked. Goro shrugged his robot shoulders. You already have. Well, obviously you haven't physically been to Fezda 5, but you were there mentally with the help of my data and the connector. Leo pointed to everyone and gestured building something and then a rocket taking off. Leo's right, Lydia said. We need to physically build the filter ships to complete the mission. Ah, that's where the miracle of the connector comes in. Goro gave the machine a little pat. When you combine your ideas and strengths, you give the machine a blueprint. It then blasts that blueprint and execution commands out in the form of a connector beam, and your plans are physically executed on site. It doesn't always work out flawlessly. There is a learning curve to it, but we can check in on Festa 5 in the coming weeks to see how things are working out. Doug fell back against his seat, blown away. He couldn't wrap his head around it. How had they mentally built something only to have it projected into being who knows how many light years away? He was a mind builder for crying out loud and it still didn't make sense to him. Dallas raised his hand. And what if our little creations turn out to be a total failure and start blowing everything up on Festa 5? The programming could backfire, and we would have created armored drone war machines. If that is the case, then I am sure we will be receiving a distress signal any minute. Goro held a finger up and waited through a few seconds of silence. Nope. No signal. I'd say it's a job well done. I think it's time you all took that well-deserved break. Why don't you get yourself some pineapple dream milkshakes from the cafeteria? I'll send the order to the chef bots so they're ready for you. Doug and the cadets headed to the cafeteria and enjoyed their shakes while floating around in their joystick-controlled flying tables. Doug and Lydia were too exhausted to play their bumper table game. Instead, they flew their tables out of the cafeteria and drifted through the halls. What's wrong? Doug asked, noticing Lydia's obvious awkwardness. She had barely touched her shake since they lifted off. He hoped it didn't have something to do with him prying through her thoughts with the connector. I had the vision again, Lydia said quietly. Doug breathed a silent sigh of relief. Was it that deep one? Lydia nodded. Right after the connector powered down, it came to me. I saw the screens again. There were so many of them. I could see them clear this time. They were showing images of us on our missions. Then I saw giant crystals, moving pricks of light, and 
a space battle. There was a dark red planet and a short glimpse of a group of kids huddled together in a dark room. I saw Leo. Leo? Doug perked up. Yeah, he was... He was wearing a yellow jacket and hiding in the shadows. He looked nervous. Doug swallowed. What was he doing? I don't know. He was gone after a couple of seconds. And there was a wheelchair. Just a quick flash, but it was definitely a wheelchair. Did you see who was in it? Was it one of us? Does one of us get injured? I tried to look, but I couldn't tell. There were stars all around it. Weird. I know. Sorry, I don't mean to bore you with it. I just get such strong feelings every time it comes up. That's when I know it's important. Don't apologize. I'm glad you're telling me. I want a heads up on what we're up against. Lydia scoffed. Too bad it isn't clear. Hard to feel prepared for anything when all you have to go off of are a bunch of random flashes. Doug reached over and put his hand on her arm. It's something. Lydia smiled and Doug felt his heart do a backflip. As he opened his mouth to say something, clunk, his table bonked into one of the big ceiling crystals. Lydia laughed and turned her table around to face him. A couple of blobby siblings came out of nowhere and bounced off the crystals around him. They jiggled, laughed, and splattered his table. Yeah, yeah, laugh it up, slime balls. Doug laughed. Pushing his joystick forward, he flew his table into a crystal, flattening a little Gorfy against it. Giggling, the Gorfy reformed and bounced off Doug's chest, leaving a splatter mark. Hey! Doug chased after the Gorfy, but was splattered by the other siblings. Clunk! Lydia rammed her table into his from the side. Oh, that's it. Doug rammed her back, and pretty soon they were flying around the ceiling in a full-on bumper table battle, bouncing off each other, the crystals, and little laughing Gorfies. By the time their battle was done, Doug had a kink in his neck from being bonked so much, and he was hoarse from laughing so hard. He and Lydia flew their tables back to the cafeteria, where they found a large group of students gathered under a big hanging screen. They were watching a replay of the battle against the robot atop the space train. What the heck? Doug lowered his table back down to the ground and walked over to watch with the rest of the group. Lydia joined him. The footage was sweeping and epic, with wide shots of the action and heroic close-ups when Dallas and the robot struggled against each other. Doug saw Blaberta watching the action from a nearby table. Blobby was chirping to his companions if preparing her for the best part. Doug watched uncomfortably as it got to the part of him, taking the smashed remains of the space icebergs and piecing them together to repair the space train. All the kids cheered when the link between the train cars was made. Lydia nudged him and bounced her eyebrows. Who recorded this? Doug whispered. I don't know. One of the chef bots, maybe? footage is amazing. Doug looked back at the screen and watched the almost cinematic experience of the battle, shaking his head. There's no way. I would have seen it. One of us would have noticed a chef bot floating around. Finally, the action ended with Blobby zipping into Brobot's ear, breaking up its circuits from the inside, and emerging triumphant. The students went ballistic. 
Blobby's companions squealed in surprise and started showering Blobby with kisses. One of the kids turned and noticed Doug standing behind her. It was the girl in the zebra coat and skates. There he is, the mind builder. The kids cheered some more and ran over to congratulate him. And the blob, said another kid. They raised Blaberta into the air, celebrating some more. Blaberta basked in the praise. They bowed and showed off by forming different shapes with their jelly bodies. How did you do it? One kid asked Doug. Do you just picture it in your head and imagine it shooting out your fingers? Said another. I, I don't know, I just do it, Doug laughed. The sudden outpouring of attention was overwhelming, but kind of exciting. He could see that Lydia was enjoying the scene. Ask him about the time he rebuilt the space train from rubble, she encouraged. <gasps> the students gasped and begged him to tell. Okay, okay, it's really not that cool of a story. Doug humored them and started retelling the story of their battle outside the academy, about how Goro crashed the space train and Doug rebuilt him and the whole train. The kids listened, starstruck. From a nearby table, Dallas sat back in his chair, arms folded, an eyebrow raised. About halfway through the story, he got up, shook his head, and walked away. While Dallas and Leo took a break in their dorms, Doug and Lydia spent the next few hours attending their parents' classes, where they learned about different alien worlds, astronomy, and extraterrestrial biology. They examined a carnivorous plant that had tulip-like flowers full of teeth, one of which bit Doug on the backside when he wasn't paying attention. Ouch! Doug had forgotten what it was like to be at school. It was fun to learn new things with other kids. Sure, he still had Goro's instructional lectures in the planetarium, but this was different. This felt more like the traditional school classes he had back home, only more extreme. There were low-gravity exercises where they took turns jumping off the great hall walls and tried to float directly to their partner against the opposite wall. There were STEM classes where they learned how to build their own jetpack. One kid put way too much jet juice in his canisters, and the thing blasted him all over the place, bonking his head against the ceiling repeatedly before sending him zipping off down the west wing. Whoa! <laughs> Blaberta and their family joined them in some of the classes, chirping and clicking excitedly and trying their jelly hand at some of the experiments. The only thing that felt strange about the whole experience, apart from the fact that the classes were out of this world, was the fact that the other students kept watching Doug's every move. He kept catching kids pointing at him and whispering to themselves. At first, it was kind of flattering. He'd hear them say things like, There's the mind builder! Or, isn't he the captain of the space train? But that quickly turned into comments like, let's see what he mind builds. Or, wait and see what Doug does first. Doug didn't like the feeling of everyone watching his every move, waiting for him to make some kind of mistake or do something amazing. He felt like everyone would be disappointed if he didn't do something really cool with his experiments. He felt like he was always having to be on, is this how Dallas has been feeling? He wondered to himself. His stomach jumped up into his throat as he realized that the video of their battle was likely a galaxy-wide broadcast like the others that had made Dallas famous. 
Was he now going to be more recognizable when they visited other planets? Having kids at school think you're cool is one thing, but having many worlds heap expectations on you the second you arrive was something else entirely. Lydia sensed his unease. You okay? Doug glanced at a couple of girls who were staring at them and giggling. I guess, he whispered. Can we help you? Lydia said to the girls, giving them the stare down. The girls quickly returned to their work and tried to hide their giggling. Ignore them, Lydia told Doug. They'll all get over it soon enough. <laughs> you sure about that? I think that video was broadcast to the entire galaxy. So what? You get a little extra attention and respect. Just don't let it soak in too much. <laughs> I won't. You sure about that? Liddy gave him a knowing smile. Doug scoffed at her and went back to his work. The attention carried over into their simulator class. Doug had been wanting to play around in the spacious simulator room ever since he had put it back together. Now was his chance to really test it out. He, Lydia, Leo, and Dallas set the environment to Jungle Ambush, a simulation based on the hostile planet of Rune. After Leo punched in the setting on a wall keypad just inside the door, 4D pixels started building up from little holes in the room's floor. One by one, bright pixels stacked themselves into shapes and then took on detailed shades of color once their individual projections were complete. The very last pixel turned green toward the top of a 4D tree. The cadets looked out in awe at the realistic jungle simulation around them. Thick mossy trees, vines, purple ferns, strange alien flowers, and even a glowing purple bioluminescent creek. Little alien critter projections skittered along the damp floor between shrubs. Doug glanced up above the tree line and noticed countless faces of students watching through the wraparound window of the observation deck. Anybody remember what we're supposed to be up against in here? Lydia said, taking out her blaster and looking around. I haven't had a chance to read through the simulator's catalog. Oompa Loompas, Dallas joked. Big ol' Oompa Loompas. Stop, Lydia shook her head. Leo held his hands up by his ears and made a crazy face. A hostile alien species, Doug interpreted, stepping carefully into the jungle with his blaster aimed and ready. Probably offended by your stink, Dallas said. Probably offended by your face, Doug shot back. Dallas strutted confidently through the jungle, eyeing the spectators above and twirling his blaster like a cowboy. Let's just give him a quick light show and hit the showers. He popped his knuckles. Don't worry, dudes. I'll leave a few aliens for you. Lydia rolled her eyes. How thoughtful of you. Thrunk! A spiky ball stuck into the tree next to Doug. Take cover! He shouted. Everyone ducked behind a tree as spike balls rained down from the treetops. Doug peeked around the trunk and saw one of the aliens swinging from an upper branch. It looked like a green-skinned monkey with a big spiky head. It threw a spike ball right at him. Splat! Doug shot it out of the air with his blaster, and the spike ball exploded into a burst of goo before turning into fading pixels of light. They're swoopers! Doug shouted. Splat! The other cadets fired back at the charging swoopers. Their shrieks were deafening. 
Dozens of the green creatures sprang from tree to tree, tossing spike balls and getting dangerously close to the cadet's cover position. Dallas was taking deep breaths from his hiding spot, humming a calming song to himself. As he did, his arms, legs, and chest ballooned. He emerged from behind a tree, a King Kong of a man, now nearly ten feet tall. The students above gasped as he tore an entire tree out of the ground and tossed it through the jungle. Dallas bowed to the kid's cheers. But as he did, three spike balls stuck into his back. Hey! He whirled around just in time to see the flying fists of two attacking swoopers. Dallas blocked their blows and threw them off like ragdolls. Get off of me! Swoopers were tossed left and right, but there were too many of them. Swarms of the creatures crawled down the tree trunks and lunged for Dallas. They clung to him and broke his blaster, stomping it to pieces. Leo and Lydia were overrun as well, tackled by swoopers. Their weapons were also smashed to pieces. Doug was the only one left. The students' faces were pressed against the glass of the observation deck. Doug ran from the charging swoopers. Think, think! How could he take down so many of them? A swooper dropped down out of nowhere and smashed his blaster. Frustrated, Doug looked back at the broken blaster as he ran. An idea came to him. Running backwards, he faced his defeated team and threw out his hands. He imagined their blasters coming together, the pieces fusing into one solid mass, the heat crystals forging into one power source. Chunks of metal zipped through the air and took form in front of him as he backpedaled. One last piece twisted into place, and it was complete. Doug caught his breath and grabbed his creation out of the air. It was a huge turret blaster. Holding onto the big weapon with two hands, he pulled the trigger. Fat lasers sprayed out of the turret blaster, vaporizing the swoopers and turning them into bursts of pixels. When the smoke from the barrel cleared, there were no swoopers left. Silence filled the room until a voice sounded over the speakers. Simulation complete. Trees, vines, and ferns disintegrated back into pixels of light, leaving the cadets standing in a big empty metal room. Doug's turret blaster was the last thing to disappear. He watched his creation fade into pixels before vanishing in his hands. Voices chanted from the observation deck. He looked up. Mind builder! Mind builder! Mind builder! The kids chanted. They cheered and called his name from the observation deck. Doug's heart was pounding. All he could do was smile and wave. Leo and Lydia ran up to pat him on the back. Several feet away, Dallas shrunk back down to normal size. His jealous gaze looked down from the observation deck and rested upon Doug in a furious glare. Doug looked around at the panoramic window full of chanting faces. Mind builder! Mind builder! Mind builder! The praise echoed in his ears.
Rocketeers, I hope you enjoyed that episode of Space Train Season 2. I want to remind everybody to go on to Spotify or Apple Reviews and leave your review. Spotify, I think you just leave a little how many stars you think it deserves. Uh, You could also follow us on Instagram. There's now a Purple Rocket Instagram page. I need to get better at posting stuff on it. I'm the worst with social media, okay? I'm the worst. I'm trying to figure it out. But parents, you can share your Rocketeers artwork on Instagram and tag the Purple Rocket page and we can add it to the gallery. And I've already seen some really cool drawings, Rocketeers. You guys are really artistic. There's so many drawers out there. I'm terrible at drawing, but it's so fun to see your interpretations of these characters, whether it's Space Train Camp Dino, whatever. Send me your artwork. I want to see it. And as always, you can leave your feedback either on Apple Reviews or you can shoot me an email, purplerocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can also become a patron, get access to ad-free episodes on patreon.com. You can get the read-alongs and some bonus stories on there and some discounted merchandise, so check it out. You also get access to the download MP3s. I've had parents specifically request that. You can get those MP3 downloads by becoming a $2 a month patron. So check it out, and thank you so much to our existing patrons for your support. I want to give some of those patrons a shout-out. We've got Eva, Finn, and Mom and Dad from Virginia. Thank you so much for listening, you guys, and for supporting the show. I love it. Thank you so much for the feedback that you sent, too. It was awesome. Also want to shout-out Beckett and Nash from Milwaukee, Oregon. Beckett and Nash. These names are so original. Where did all these parents come up with these cool names? I'm like, I'm jealous a little bit. We have a few more. Kai and his dad, Max, from Bradford, Ontario, Canada. You guys, we have Rocketeers from all over the place. This is so cool because we also have Humphrey from France who's supporting us on Patreon. Humphrey, thank you so much. Jim uh, Greg. Greg. Yeah, I'm basically fluent. <laughs> Not really. That's all the French I know, and I probably butchered it. But Humphrey... Thank you so much for listening, dude. I'm going to share an Apple review. This one says, fantastic for kids and their adults. And this is Rowan. Rowan says, we really like the podcast. I'm one of the biggest fans. The stories are exciting, and all of them are my favorites. Rowan, age five. Rowan, that's awesome, dude. I'm glad you like all of the stories because the stories can be kind of different. I know there's like a common flavor through the stories, but I mean, they're pretty different. Some pretty different characters there. Uh, And this is from Rowan's mom. This podcast is great. Greg does such a great job writing the storylines and they are captivating for kids and parents alike. They have been appropriate for my son since he was four and he's actually pretty sensitive to scary themes. I love listening with my kids and don't want to miss an episode. So Purple Rocket time is family time. Rocketeers, this is my favorite. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much, Rowan and Rowan's mom. This is my favorite feedback that I've been hearing from parents is that whether it's a dad and a son, dad and a daughter, a mom and a son, mom and a daughter, that they're getting quality time together, listening, kind of bonding over the stories, talking about the characters, predicting what's going to happen. That to me is seriously the biggest compliment is when I hear that you guys can listen together and just have some quality time together. I love it. I love it. I love it. I have a confession. I have not been good at listening with my own kids. Um, And if I'm being totally honest, I make Aurora and Cohen listen separately because I've already, I've obviously already heard the stories when I'm editing stuff. I'm in the booth recording it. 
And nobody likes listening to their own voice. Let's be honest. Nobody likes it. So we talk about it afterwards, though. We can bond over it still, but I can't listen at the same time. It's just like it hurts my brain. It literally hurts my brain. I think I'll pass out if, like, it starts playing too close. I think I was, like, in somebody – in a friend's house. We were at, like, a holiday thing, and they, like, turned it on for the guests, and I, like, started sweating. I started sweating. I'm like, oh. I wanted to, like, jump out the window. I'm like, I got I to gotta, I gotta get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I think I, like, had to step outside. Anyway, I just – I cringe. But, I mean, I, I love the stories. I love that my kids love them. I love that you Rocketeers love them. Whew, I just have a hard time listening to them uh, again myself. You know, it's whatever. It is what it is. But Rocketeers, I love it. This feedback's the best. Please tell your friends and family about the stories. Share it on social media if you want. And obviously, I need to thank my mom, who's amazing and is helping me edit the stories. And Jeremy from Harmonious Ideas, who's helping with the audio. Oh, makes my life so much easier. So thank you, thank you, thank you. One last thing I wanted to bring up. I was going to bring it up earlier. Is there's this moment from this episode that kept popping out to me. And I wanted to come back to it. And it's a part where it's so small, super small part. You probably forgot it already. But it's when Lydia helps Fusa Kapoor with her bag and takes her, you know, to her dorm and introduces her to the other kids. And right after that, it inspires Doug. It's kind of a silly little moment where Doug's inspired to do the same. He's like, oh, wow, that was a really nice thing. And so he goes to do it. And Dallas like, dude, I can throw this bag or something like that, right? So what I love about this moment, Rocketeers, is it illustrates how powerful a simple act of kindness is, that it really can be contagious. When you're nice to somebody and other people see that, you are encouraging them to do the same. They're like, oh, wow, Sarah's really nice. Like, that was really cool for her to do that. I want to be more like Sarah. I want to be nice and and help somebody out. Like, I want to go give somebody a compliment and tell them that their dress looks nice or that I like their shirt or, hey, man, like, you're really good at soccer or whatever. It's so cool to see how contagious these acts of kindness are, Rocketeers. And that's what I hope for all of you. Rocketeers are a good example to those around them because – it just spreads. It spreads like wildfire when you're doing good things, when you're kind to others, when you're generous. Um, not that you're doing it to seek praise of those around you. Just ignore the people around you, right? And focus on the act of kindness. But the reality is somebody might see that and it inspires them. I know I've been inspired by so many other people and their acts of kindness and just the way they talk to others or the way they stand up for others. And likewise, negativity is equally contagious. So Rocketeers, if you're being mean to somebody or you're doing something mean or bullying or something, the kids around you, they're noticing that. And it kind of becomes contagious and it makes it easier for them to be mean and to be a bully. So please, please be good examples. Be kind to those around you. Lift people up. Rocketeers love themselves, have confidence in yourselves, and so that you're able to lift up other people and be kind to everybody, no matter how different they are from you. It doesn't matter how different they are. You don't have to have the same interests. Lift people up, be kind, and other people will notice and be inspired by your kindness. Anyway, I'm not trying to preach here. <laughs> I just wanted to bring that up. It's a small moment, but it's one of my favorite moments of that story. So Rocketeers, you're awesome. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to check back for an all-new episode. Until next time, this is your host, Greg Webb.